Hey, so we're in just a two-week series. It's bridging the gap between uh, last year. Remember that? Remember last year? And uh, in this new year. And it's all about uh, really this kind of strange incident that happens. And we, we don't, we're nowhere to lump it except in the birth story. It's Herod and, and the whole deal with the Magi and wise men. And so we'll jump into that. If you are not in the habit of reading scripture every day, there's a group of us in the church that engage with an app called uh, YouVersion or the Bible app. If you search either of those things, you'll find it in your app store. They're in it's all the major platforms. But it enables us to kind of track and guide our reading. Um, it also has a place for us to discuss stuff about what we're thinking or pondering or learning. And so it's a really useful thing. Uh, you can read almost all of the versions of Scripture. So if you're a little stuck on one, you can just easily pull up another version. It's really great. And it also kind of just gives you a place to go through the, the reading time. So uh, we're engaging uh, a week from Monday. We're starting a new one, a new reading plan that will actually be one of four reading plans that we'll use throughout this entire year. It's called Love This Book. This is the first one. It's the graphic that you'll see when you join it. If you're not sure how to do that, we can help you with that. We'll put a link in the e-news as well, uh, but it will guide you through it. What I like about this reading plan, a lot of times if you start to read through the Bible thing, and this isn't the whole Bible in the year, that's, first of all, a very, very good thing. Not that I don't think you should read through the whole Bible, I just think you ought to take about three years to do it. Um, you can cram it into a year, but my goodness, I mean, I, I mean, that's how I eat my meals, but I'm not sure I want to in, engage in scripture that way. It just it's, it almost makes me choke. So uh, this has a, a just a survey of scripture. It's very powerful. But then there are also days about every five, six days that are catch-up days. And so if you're like me and you get behind occasionally, uh, there's some days where they just say, you know, catch up and read the stuff that you missed or that you skipped or what have you. So it's very, very good. What we also like about this reading plan is there's one for kids. And so Mike Mason will be putting out some stuff in, the, in his emails and also in our e-news. Uh, it's, this is great for upper elementary, if they have their own device especially, um, uh, middle school, even high school. But I think most high schoolers could really engage in the adult reading plan. So all that to say this, if you don't have a consistent way of interacting with Scripture and you're not sure kind of who God is or what he's doing in your life or how he's guiding or directing you, the best habit for you to engage in is figuring out how to put Scripture in your mind, the forefront of your thoughts, even if it's just a few minutes a day. It's a great way to begin. And so we would love for you uh, to be engaged with that. That would be great. And so last week, we kind of talked about the very beginning of this episode with Herod. And we ended with this verse last week. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So here's the backstory, thumbnail sketch. Magi come to town, Jerusalem, and they say, we hear there's a king that's been born, which is particularly troubling to the person who is the king. Because he's thinking, well, I mean, that's great and all, but I'm the king, and I don't know why we need a new king. I've got plenty of life left in me. What's this new king about? And so Herod is disturbed, but it's not just Herod. In fact, Matthew makes it clear that all of Jerusalem was disturbed, and the question that we wrestled with as we were wrapping up last week is why? Why is that the case? Why would they be disturbed? And you know as well as I do that when a reorg happens at your workplace, everybody gets anxious and nervous, right? We're about to change the rules. We're about to decide who's in charge or who gets to do what or, or who's over who now. And if all the pieces are moving, I know there's a pie. 
I just want to be sure I get a big enough piece. I don't want a smaller piece. I want more pie. Nobody ever wants less pie. They want more pie. And so this is where the anxiety comes from is the rules are changing. What does this new king mean? The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and beyond, they had figured out how to work with Herod. He was kind of Jewish. They never accepted him as a full Jew. He was under the thumb of Caesar Augustus, but he had political power. He was stuck in this place of middle management. Have you ever been stuck in middle management? Where you have a boss who has expectations, but then you have a bunch of people who won't do what they said they would do. And so you have to manage the tension between both of those places. It's a horrible place, middle management. And that's where Herod is in the Roman Empire. And so the Magi come to town and say, hey, we hear a king has been born. And so he is disturbed. This was the Greek word that we unearthed in that original text, terasso. And it means to cause one inward commotion, to be stirred up. It's going to bring some issues up, to stir up, make trouble, be restless, anxious, distressed. And so we asked you to ponder this last week. When has it been for you? It could be any number of things. Family's a mess, fight on Christmas, you got a phone call, somebody tested positive. I don't know what the issue is in your life or over the last year or even what's coming. Even as we watch the news unfold, every one of us is, is watching this footage and thinking, oh my goodness. I mean, you know, we, we let off fireworks, what, a couple weeks ago and saw fires in each of our communities. It was, is the only difference the wind and... All of these things that create just this either low level or maybe intense anxiety as we wonder about the uncertainty, we're stirred up, there's inward commotion. So what has it been for you lately that's caused you to feel all terrassoed up, a little, a little anxious, a little stirred up? These are the issues that show up. And here's what's interesting about this passage and this whole story. This is, I find absolutely incredible. Jesus prophesied by the prophet Isaiah and many others to come and bring what? Peace, that's right. In fact, he's called the prince of? The angel said, peace on earth and goodwill towards all. And that is absolutely true. But he has just been born and all of a sudden, everybody is disturbed and stressed. It's like, a foreshadowing of every Christmas that is to come. This is what's going to happen. This is part of the deal. And why is that the case? It seems, if you read the Gospels, you pay attention to Jesus, what he says, his teachings, that this is part, even though we don't like to see it, we, we, we kind of do this with this part of the, the Gospels or Jesus' teachings, this is part of what it means to encounter God or experience Jesus. In fact, Jesus later would say this, and, and this, this, I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon on it, but this, this statement that Jesus makes as, as an adult seems to be taken right out of this incident of him as a tiny baby. Here's what he says. In fact, let's just say it together. It's so unsettling, it would be good for us all to be unsettled together, okay? You ready? Let's start at the beginning. Here we go. Do not suppose that I have come to bring just stop right there for a second and let that sink in. That is unthinkable that the Prince of Peace would say that. Peace on earth? Jesus says, oh, no. You, I, th I think maybe you misunderstood. And if you're reading it, then 
you're coming to terms with the dissonance of this truth. There are many things in Scripture that feel like they are almost exact opposites, and both are true. And this isn't the only one. There are hundreds. Both are true. And so in case you missed it, he's going to say it even stronger. Let's say the words in yellow. Let's say them all together. I did not come to bring peace, but it's almost as if he is looking back on what happened with Herod and the, the massacre, the Bethlehem infants. And this is what happened and he has just been born. I almost like Luke's translation of this better. His version of it, he uses a little bit of a different word. And in Luke's gospel it says, I did not come to bring peace but division. And that's what happens when Jesus shows up. There is some division. Well, what do you think? Do you think this or do you think that? Are you going to go right or are you going to go left? Have you heard what the Messiah said or how he teaches? It's almost as if he is saying every time Jesus shows up on the scene, a path will emerge from a single road and that path is a fork in the deal and you have to choose which way are you gonna go? Which direction are you gonna head? And so when Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace but a sword or division, then we recognize that it is the events of our lives that bring that division in the road. It's the moments where we are unsure, uncertain. Something has happened. It could be within, it could be out here. It could be what somebody does. It could be something that happens to us. It could be something that we do ourselves, but it creates a disturbance. And this is what God uses to sort out the values of your heart. What we said last week was this. Our stories are ultimately about identity, work, significance, success, and legacy. In other words, there are many things that we're trying to figure out as we walk the path of our life. We have our families, we choose a career, and we make financial decisions and decide where we're gonna put our trust or what we're gonna lean into relationship-wise. But ultimately, our stories are about these things. Who are we? Why did God make us? Why did he put us here? What does he have in mind for us? Who should we trust? Where do we find significance? What does success look like for you as a person? Maybe you and your career or you and your family. And then ultimately, why are we here and what are we leaving behind? We're all trying to make a mark somehow. What mark are you trying to make? Why did God put you here and for what purpose? Herod's questions are about these things. Joseph's questions are about these. And at three in the morning when you wake up, that's what your questions are about too. Am I wasting my time? How do I fix this? Do I go right? Do I go left? And the events of our life that poke at these issues they bring about an inner commotion. And that's an opportunity for Jesus to do what he does best. And there's two paths usually in front of us, like I said. The path kind of splits in two. The first is the way of Herod. That's what this story will teach us. And the way of Herod 
is a path that we can take if we choose, and we often do choose this path, but it always begins with a disturbance, always a disturbance. So what happened? Somebody called, you got a diagnosis, the company's going belly up. We aren't sure what's gonna happen with our house. We're trying to sell it, we're trying to move, we're trying to take care of this. You name it, it's good if you identify it because it makes what we're talking about in this portion of the scripture a bit more real, a bit more practical. But something has happened and it's created a disturbance for all of us. It's the events of life and it's true. But these two broad ways help us see where things are headed and it causes an inner commotion. So for Herod, what is it? The Magi show up and say, there's a king. And so... Herod springs into action. Here's what he does. He called a meeting of the religious priests and the teachers, religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they answered, where? Yeah, if you've been to our Christmas pageant over the years, this, this little bit plays a, you know, a big part, and so you know it well. The scholars, they say, as you all played every year in the audience of the church, Bethlehem, we, we scoured the scriptures. We, we can tell you, it says right here in Micah, the Jesus... The Messiah, God's chosen one, he will be born in Bethlehem. And so this truth begins to show exactly why what's happening is happening. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem and do what? Search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me, so that I can, what? Go and worship him too. Now, if you know a little bit about the Christmas story, or maybe you've read the Gospels before, then these events are not surprising to you. But do me a favor and just sort of come up above the details and and see uh, the arc of the story and the role that each person plays. Herod, Magi, Mary and Joseph, just see the pieces and how they fit. And when you do, here's what you'll notice. Every piece is necessary. Every piece. Even the pieces that we, from our vantage point, would say, well, that's, that doesn't seem like a very good idea. Or, I, I sure wouldn't have had things go this way. And, or that's just unfortunate that, that he was a part of the story, whoever that he is, probably Herod. He's certainly the villain in the story. Every piece was necessary. Herod would not even know that a king had been born had the Magi not showed up in Jerusalem and began asking around about it. The Magi would not even know where to go, don't miss this detail, if it weren't for who? Herod. If it weren't for Herod, they would have no idea where to find Jesus. I mean, it kind of followed the star, the scriptures say, but you followed stars before too, right? I mean, you can be in Grand Junction, come all the way to Denver, it looks like you followed a star. So I don't know if the star moved or how this worked astrologically. I'm sure it was miraculous and incredible and beautiful, but it was because of Herod's insight from the religious scholars that he even knows where this king would be born. And then it's speculation, but you know that Mary and Joseph probably were not a couple of means. They probably didn't have their independent wealth growing in a 401k. They, they kind of paycheck to paycheck, job to job, and they were just kind of getting it done as a young couple. And Joseph is a carpenter, probably just kind of paid by the deal as it went. 
And so the question that many have asked is, how in the world did this young couple by themselves with their tiny baby, as far as we know, make a journey from their home to a foreign land? How would they even afford that? And most historians speculate that it was the gifts of the Magi that allowed them to finance their trip. Every piece is dependent on the others. Look, here's my guess. My guess is you have a story about your life that's being put together in your head. And and my guess is, is you are the protagonist of your story. That's probably the case for most of us. You are the protagonist. Um, Which is, uh, if you need a little refresher English-wise, the the hero or the the person in charge, the the thing the story centers around. I mean, you, you might be the antagonist in your story, but if that's the case, we have some very good therapists in our church that can help you with that because this is... This is not good for you. It's not a good mental, healthy place for you to be. You are probably the protagonist, but there are many other pieces to your story. There's somebody else that plays a Herod role. There's a, there's a foil. There's a, there's a villain. There's, there's people that come along and assist and play this just a supporting role in your life. As all of these pieces come together and you see the Christmas story, understand this. Every piece was necessary for God to advance history forward. This is true for you too. So the person that you wish weren't a part of your story that seems to be tripping things up, God is at work. Even in a ruler that seems the most unthinkable and and evil that we can imagine, God is at work. In your life, in your story, even if it's not going what you think is according to plan, I promise you, God is with you and he is at work. And so here it says, go to Bethlehem. Find the baby. I'll come worship him. Story unfolds. Magi do their thing. They deliver the gifts. And then after this, having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by what? This is how we got the little title of our two weeks, another way. I don't know, I don't know what you think you're forced into right now. I don't know what powers or or circumstances are creating angst in your life or in your heart, what disturbance is occurring, but the choice that you think you have to make, know this, there's always another way, always another way. There's a way that you can walk that honors God. It's the way of Jesus. We'll unpack that too. There's also the way of Herod, and it can involve you grabbing your way and getting what you want, but there is always another way, and the Magi found it. The Magi found it. So here's Herod's response, and here's how he reacted. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. I love that, outwitted. He thinks they just got outwitted. You know, they just, he just kind of is befuddled by it. But the result is incredible, white-hot, intense anger. And he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the historical birth rates and population of Bethlehem, historians have surmised that this would have been about 20 infants in Bethlehem that paid the price of a king's insecurity and jealousy as he ponders how long he will get to keep his throne. So what is at work here in Herod's life? Well, his work involves power, control, Ego, 
insecurities, this middle management place. Can I please, Caesar Augustus, what about the the governors that I have under me? Am I going to lose control? Those of us who have roles in life, whether it's your family, your own world, your business, your, your career, your professional life, and we deal in control and ego and insecurities, then we understand Herod a bit. We understand why he might feel insecure. We understand why he might be moved to a place of anger when he thinks all he's done is found an ally in these magi and they defy him. That's what happens when somebody who is in control finds themselves defied. It's the way you have felt about your kids. Anger, furious. As the story unfolds, we get a picture of the way of Herod and this is it. The way of Herod begins with a disturbance happens. We don't know what happened. We don't know what it is in your life, but it's a disturbance. Somebody's causing an issue. And immediately, like Herod, we spring into action and we begin to scheme and plan and gather an army and send out texts and correct things through email. We engage in control with power and position and anger and deceit. Come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too. I really want what's best for her, but I think it's best if we're all on the same page. We can do this a thousand different ways when we're dealing with social circles and companies and families and needs and issues. And so we find ourselves engaged in scheming and attempts, and so we prop ourselves up on somebody else. We don't want to make them look bad. We just want to be sure that we look better. This is the way of Herod. And it always escalates to violence. In the case of Herod and his story, it escalated to actual physical violence. But violence has a thousand forms, doesn't it? Gossip, betrayal, hurt, unkindness, unforgiveness, holding a grudge, bitterness. The way of Herod always leads to some sort of violence, relational or otherwise. And then, just like in the story, the way of Herod always leads to death. Every time, it leads to death. Now, if you're thoughtful about your own life, you don't have to think very long or very hard to know that my life or your life or a certain circumstance kind of followed the the way of Herod. It could have been a blow up on Christmas Day or something that happened at work. It could be just something that happened in your heart that nobody knew about, but within your heart you harbored feelings that, well, pretty much followed the way of Herod. There's another way, as you know. And so, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And this is what the angel said. Get up and what? Flee to Egypt. With the child and his mother, the angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, if you know the Christmas story and and the birth narratives and the gospels, then you might know this little bit of of detail. Uh, An angel came to Joseph four times um, in, in a dream. Well, the first time was, hey, you know, Mary's gonna have a baby, don't divorce her. You know, you're familiar with that one. Uh, the second time was, flee to Egypt. The third time was, hey, it's time to come home. And the fourth time was, hey, don't go home, home. Pick a different home because there's another ruler. So last week we talked about the three Herods. So if, 
Here's the, the thumbnail. Um, there's Herod the Great, which is the Herod in this story. And then when he dies, which is when the angel for, third, for the third visit says, you can go home now, he, he has put his son in charge. Which, his name is Herod Archelaus. Historically, that's his name. And he is over the region of Judea, Jerusalem. Herod Archelaus is. And he was the oldest son of Herod the Great. And so he had... Uh, really cut after the same kind of cloth as his dad. And Joseph did not want anything to do with them, and neither did God want them near Herod Archelaus. So they sent them to live in a different place, which is in a northern region. And eventually, over that northern region, Nazareth, Galilee, that area, there would be another Herod, another son of Herod the Great, three Herods. His name was Herod Antipas, and he would be put in charge, but he was a little bit different. He was more cowardly and just kind of in the family business, but really didn't want to be. And so these are the three Herods and how they operated. Four times, Joseph is visited by an angel in a dream. So every year as I read the Christmas story, the the birth narratives, I wonder about something new or something different. And if you're like me and you read scripture and you find something new every time, this is the, the incredible beauty of God's word. So I'm reading it this year and I'm thinking, why in the world did an angel come see Joseph Four times, and every time the angel did this, it was in, in a dream. Why is that the case? You remember Mary, right? And the angel came to Mary, see Mary, and they did it, the angel did it live in person. They had a chit-chat, remember that? They had this chat, and so I began to wonder, why is that the case? Why is Joseph only seeing an angel in a dream? Why is God using this method? And then it hit me. So you remember as the verse story's beginning who the first person was to receive a visit from an angel? Before even everything really gets rolling. Does anybody remember? Zechariah. Somebody said Zechariah. Zechariah is the dad of John the Baptist. You might remember this. And Zechariah was a priest on duty, went into the Holy of Holies, and Gabriel showed up. And Gabriel said, hey, you and Elizabeth, you've wanted a kid. You haven't had a kid. I know she appears to be barren. But guess what? Guess what, Zechariah? You're going to have a baby. And uh, he's going to be incredible. And he's going to go before Jesus. And, you know, and she, Gabriel's describing John the Baptist. And in the middle of this incredible moment in the Holy of Holies, Zechariah, a priest, looks at, Gabriel, looks at Gabriel and says, you remember what he says? How can I know this is going to be true? And I just wish I was a part of the heavenly debrief meeting that happened when Gabriel went back up to heaven, and they're like, hey, you know, this is incredible. This is great. How'd it go? How'd it go? You went down, you saw Zechariah. He's like, well, it didn't go very good. What do you mean? I mean, I told him all about it, and did he freak out and kiss your feet and give you thanks? No, he like argued with me. He did what? Yeah, he argued with me. So how are we going to do this? So the angel goes to see Mary. It's all good. They get ready to tell Joseph. They're going to send Gabriel down to give Joseph this message, and they're like, what are we going to do? Well, I mean, last time we tried to do this with a dude, he argued with us. So we're not giving him a chance for that. We're going in a dream. I guarantee you that's what happened in the heavenlies. Okay, so that was free. Free to you. You can throw that away. It has no theological significance, okay? I know Mary was pretty special, but when the Magi were told, how were they told? In a dream. Even the wise men, how wise are they? If the angel has to come in a dream... Because men, and this isn't gender specific, we'll throw a few of you women under the bus as well. When God says, hey, look, here's how things are going to go. We go, I mean, that sounds fine, but how about, what if, that seems risky to me, 
I would go a different way, Lord, if I were you. In fact, if you don't mind, just, just scoot over to the passenger seat. Let me take the wheel. I got this. I got this. I mean, that seems like a dicey proposition to me. I think I need to be in charge. How many of you would change the course of events of your life, given the option, and say, you know, Lord, look, I know you have some good things in mind for me, but I think I can do better. That's exactly right. And so Joseph, <laughs> the angel comes to him in a dream. So when the angel says, hey, go to Egypt, he's not awake to go, oh, hey, no, no, that's a horrible idea. We can't afford that. I don't know the way. I don't know anybody in Egypt. That's stupid. We're going to stay. No, no. The angel says, go to Egypt. And so he wakes up and he tells Mary, what did the angel say? Go to Egypt. What did you say? I couldn't. I was asleep. <laughs> Sounds great. Let's pack. We're going to Egypt. And that's exactly what happens. And even in this, we get a glimpse of the way of Jesus, don't we? We just sang the lyrics to King of Kings. When Gabriel says, when the angel says, you know, look, this is not good. You need to leave town. That doesn't sound very kingly to me, does it? Doesn't sound like the actions of a king who's sovereign and in charge. To flee and to run and leave the country, well, that puts you in exile. And all that means is time's short for you. But that's exactly what God has Jesus do with Mary and Joseph. Leave town, run, and avoid it. Apparently, the way of Jesus involves losing the battle because you know God is in charge of the war. And that is at least a glimpse into the way of Jesus. And so that's exactly what happens. They leave. And then while they're there, they're told, come home, but don't go home home. Go to a different place. And so they make their home in a new town, a new town for the whole family, town of Nazareth. And again, this is a glimpse into the way of Jesus. This way of Jesus takes them to a town that nobody thinks much of, in fact. You remember what happened when Nathaniel became a disciple? Some of the disciples came around and said, hey, we found the Messiah. And Nathaniel said, where is he? Who is he? And they said, well, it's, it's Jesus. Jesus of, and you know, they didn't have surnames, you know, because they couldn't say, you know, Jesus Johnson or whatever. They said, Jesus, he's from this town of Nazareth. In fact, we call him Jesus of Nazareth. And you remember what Nathaniel says? Can anything good come from Nazareth? It's the way of Jesus. This place of humility, obscurity. When challenged with power, he doesn't rise up and bow up and decide, I'll show you who's in charge. He goes to Egypt and says, why don't you all just cool down a little bit? This can wait. Jesus comes from a town that nobody of notoriety would come from. I don't know, is, is that Franktown or Sedalia? I mean, I don't know what it would be in our... I'm kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. So what is the way of Jesus then? The way of Jesus begins the same as the way of Herod. It begins with a disturbance. And you've had one. You've had a dozen this year. Somebody's poked, you've woken up with anxious feelings. The future is uncertain. Anger boils up, whatever the disturbance is. I, it's a thousand different things. And I promise you, 
while we hope for lack of disturbance for 2022, how far did you have to get into the year before you thought, well, I guess we're looking at more of the same? That doesn't mean that it's bad or God isn't with us or that you can count on dismal things to occur, but it does mean that life is life and when life happens, disturbances are a part of it. And apparently, according to Jesus, he at least allows it, at times orchestrates it, and he came not just so that you would have peace all the time, but that you would experience division, a division in the road, and you get to pick. Are you going to go the way of Herod? Allow things to be controlled by your ego and anger and insecurities? Are you going to forever be wrestling with the questions of identity and worth and success and significance? Or are you going to go the way of Jesus, which begins with a disturbance, and then immediately... Instead of springing into action and scheming and gathering an army, it starts with a posture of humility, reflection, and contemplation. To walk the way of Jesus, to follow the way of Jesus, it means that you stop and you pay attention and you say, I, I, sense, I sense there's something stirring in me and I don't know what it is. I'm not sure why I feel the way I feel but I feel insecure, or I feel anxious, I feel angry, I feel upset. I feel like I'm being slighted. I feel like I gave years to this company, and now this is how they're treating me. I feel disregarded. And we begin to pray. Lord, what are you up to? What are you doing in me? Why is this happening? How can I see your hand in it? I can't believe our family has turned into this. I didn't expect our kids to go this way or that way. And so we adopt a posture of humility, reflection, and contemplation. Parentheses, that's why pondering and reflecting on Scripture is so important. You know what it says in Proverbs? There is a way that seems right to us, but in the end it leads to death. That's right. What does that mean? It means that the way of Herod seems right to most of us. I know, I know. He's a villain of villains. What he does is absolutely unthinkable. And yet there are so many of us who follow Jesus every day that the way of Herod just seems like the most natural, thoughtful, reactionary way to be. And so we lead by control and power and our ego gets involved and we bow up and make people do what they said they were going to do and take care of business. That's what good leaders do. That's what good dads do. That's what thoughtful moms do. And that way of Herod, well, it seems right, but in the end it leads to death. What dies? All kinds of things die. Your understanding of what it means to be significant or your identity, your worth, all of that dies. And that's not the path you want. So we adopt a posture of humility, reflection, and contemplation. And eventually, whenever it is time to move, Whenever it is time to decide, this is the step I'm going to take. This is the text I'm going to send. This is the call I'm going to make. This is the relationship I'm going to repair. We move forward with thoughtful surrender resulting in love, agape love, which is I work for your benefit to show you God's generosity, goodness, and kindness. That's what I do. I know you wrong me. I don't get to wrong you back. I know you disregarded me. I don't get to operate that way with you. I follow Jesus. I do a different thing. And so I pick a different path. I pick the way of Jesus. And that means that I know I could grab for what's mine, but that's not it. God gives me what I need every day. 
I know I could exact my revenge and withhold affection or decide that I'm going to be standoffish just so you know you shouldn't do that ever again. But God asks us to talk and, talk and walk and behave in a different way. And the result, bless you, the result is life. Every time. Every time. The way of Herod, it brings about death. But the way of Jesus brings about life. And you want that life because it brings freedom and it brings joy. And it's the harder of the two paths. Jesus calls it the narrow road. It's not narrow because it's just hard. It's just narrow because it's harder to see. It's painful. It's difficult. It involves a lot of self-denial. and Death to ego and death to what you think is our success culture and death to all kinds of things. But it brings life to you every time. In just a moment, we'll take communion together. In fact, I'm going to ask our, our servers and communion people to go ahead and make their way to where they need to get, and they're going to grab some elements. And it's different than we did during COVID, and we're grateful that we can engage in this in a different way. We think we've done it in a way that's safe and give you an opportunity to experience the elements more like we used to. It was the last night of Jesus' life, and he's with his disciples and he's talking about the way of Jesus. And he says to his disciples, look, here's the deal. I'm going to go someplace, and, and then you're going to follow me. You're going you're gonna to come after me. In fact, Jesus is saying, look, I'm going first, and you're coming second. That's the deal. And they're confused because they're in Jerusalem. They're thinking, where else are we going to go? I mean, we came from the places that did matter and came to the place that did matter. Where are you headed now, and how do we get there? We don't know what's up. In fact, Jesus was so sure they understood it, this is what he said to them. You know the way to the place where I am going. And, of course, he means this in a, a, numerous different ways. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about life everlasting. He's talking about a complete change in perspective, ethics, and values, the way we love, all of it. You know the way. I've, you've been with me for three years. You've seen the way that I work with people and the way I love. I'm going to invite you to come along the same way. So Thomas says what all the disciples are thinking he says it out loud. He says, we, we, we don't know. We don't know the way. We have no idea where you're headed. We don't know. So do you hear the way of Jesus in Thomas's words? I hear humility. I hear openness. I hear Thomas has had a disturbance in the moment. His friend's about to leave. And, and so he just says to God, we don't know. Show us the way. Show us the way. In fact, let's all say that together. We don't know. You ready? It's good practice. Ready? We don't know. Lord, what are you up to? We don't know. Where, where are you going? We don't know. How do you want me to walk this out, Lord? We don't know. And then Jesus' answer is very simple. And he says to Thomas and the rest of the disciples, he says this. Let's say it together. Jesus answered. Say it with me. I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm the way. You follow me. And it's through surrender that this happens. The communion experience that we have when we engage in the elements and we consume them, it illustrates the way of Jesus more than anything else could. What does it illustrate? Well, there's going to be a death that we experience, same as Jesus. He went first. We come after him, though. And what is that death to? Well, it's, for some of us, it's a, a death to what we think success is or where our worth is tied up. It's a death to our ego. It's a death to many things that we can say no to. But then what happens? 
Well, Jesus would go first. He would institute these elements, experience his own death, his burial, and then what? Resurrection, new life. This is the joy and freedom that the way of Jesus is inviting you to. It's to decide that, Lord, we, we will not be able to keep disturbances away from our life we, as much as we try. But when they come, may we follow the way of Jesus. And so Jesus held up the bread to his friends and he said, this is my body. And he tore it in front of them as his flesh would be torn the very next day. And he said, take it and eat it. My body is broken for you. And then he stood with the disciples and held up what would be the fourth cup of Passover. And he filled it with the wine and he said, this wine represents my blood. It is poured out for you. It's the, the blood of the new covenant. It represents the love and mercy that you and I experience with Jesus every day. That we are loved, that we are forgiven, and that he will walk with us through any disturbance we go through. And he said, take this and drink it, all of you. And they did. And in the middle of this holy meal, they experienced the grace of God, the gifts of God for the people of God. And so we choose the way of Jesus today. And today, as we take the communion elements, for the first time in almost two years, we'll leave our seats and we'll approach one of the tables in the corners of the room. Our communion servers are there and they'll remind you that the body of Christ is given for you and the blood of Christ is poured out for you. And then you can take one of the pieces of bread representing the body of Jesus and a cup you can consume the elements anywhere in the room if you like. You can take them back to your seat if you like, just for a moment of reflection. Because we want to do this in a way that is worthy, that represents our surrender and represents us saying, Lord, we've chosen the way of Herod many times in our life and relationships. Today we choose the way of Jesus. And we recognize that that path may be a narrow, difficult, uphill one. But we choose it because it brings freedom and life. And so, Lord, now as we consume these elements together as a body and the people who are watching online do the same thing in their home, we recognize that we are one body together. And, Lord, as we hear these words from our servers, may we be reminded that God's love is sufficient. Your love, Lord, is sufficient. That you meet us in this place and you beckon us to follow the way of your Son, the way of Jesus. Thank you for the death and the burial and the resurrection. It shows us the way, the truth, and the life. In the name of Jesus, we all pray together and say,